Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Michael Swain here after Kansas came away with a huge program win over Boston College. KU came away scoring 48 points and holding Boston College 24 points. And wow, what a roller coaster game that was. Um, starting off, let's just kind of we'll walk through the game here and then we'll talk about maybe some bigger picture things for KU and what this means going forward. And then we'll dive into some of the more intricate performances of the game. But starting off, you kind of look at the first possession. Uh, KU won the coin toss. They decided to defer to the second half. So Boston College's offense got the ball first. And man, they got off to a really good start. A.J. Dillon looked really good. A.J. Dillon, the Boston College running back, who was a, a distant Heisman hopeful entering the season. But man, on that first drive, I think it was a 75-yard drive. And on that 75 yards, Dillon rushed for 51 of those yards. So he was awesome just in that first drive of just continuously keeping his feet moving, keeping the legs driving. And at that point, you kind of look at it like, oh, you know, shoot, is this going to be one of those games where maybe KU can't stop the run? You look at kind of the linebackers KU uses, Drew Prox and Kyron Johnson. Neither are your prototypical run stuffer, even though Drew Prox has been really good so far this season in those run stops and just tackling in general. But after that first drive, you know, KU comes out on offense and Carter Stanley goes and throws an interception. It was the second throw of the game. He overthrew Andrew Parchment. It just, the ball kind of sailed on him. Uh, Stanley said after the game that it kind of came out of his hand weird. So he overthrew his man, and the Boston College defensive back was able to return it um, for a pretty good starting field position for Boston College. But then KU's defense came up pretty big. And I think that is honestly maybe one of the biggest points in the game is when KU was able to force Boston College into that field goal on that possession. Because all of a sudden, if Boston College goes and scores a touchdown there, you're down 14-0 in the hole, and that's just tough to get out of. Whereas, you know, as KU eventually did, you know, you can go and score two touchdowns and be in the game. So when KU got the ball back after Boston College made that field goal, you know, KU started to look pretty good on offense there. Stanley found a rhythm in the passing game. Um, he was able to complete consecutive passes um, where he had a 27-yard connection with Stephon Robinson to kind of flip the field for KU. Puka Williams helped KU get into the red zone with a couple runs, but then Stanley found Jack Luavasa in the end zone for a 19-yard touchdown. And I think it was at that point where you kind of got the feeling of, all right, you know, KU's looking like they're in the flow of it. The offense looked good at that point. Um, there hadn't been any hiccups or anything like that. But then KU, or Boston College, rather, comes back with a 10-play, 73-yard drive that took over just over three minutes off the clock to go up 17-7. to At that point, it's kind of getting into the, okay, is, you know, is KU going to be able to stop Boston College going forward throughout the game? Because up until that point, they had not been able to. But then Jamal Horn really helped KU out, returned the kick 37 yards, and put KU in some really good field position. Stanley then found Adrian Parchment for a 37-yard connection to get KU down to the one-yard line. And, you know, it's, it's worth noting that that was Parchment's longest reception this season, and that play was busted open because of KU having Puka Williams and Khalil Herbert 
as a split back in the backfield. If you follow me on Twitter or you read my film room this past week, I looked at a little bit of how KU used Puka Williams and Khalil Herbert and his split back and how effective that was. And that big play to get KU down inside the five-yard line came off of that split back formation. So you know KU really went back to some of their good things that they had found in the past with the offense. But so continuously going, you know, you get to halftime and coming out of the half then, you know, it's uh, – you know, Boston College is 24 points and KU gets the ball first. And then they come down and they get a field goal to start the half to push it to a three-score game. Or sorry, not a three-score game. That made it a one-touchdown game at that point. Then KU went on to make it a two-score game and a three-score game in subsequent drives and really pushed the game out of reach. Overall, just a huge win for Kansas and Les Miles, especially after the disappointing game last week against Coastal Carolina. But now just some kind of some bigger picture things, some notes for the game. You know, 47 points is the most KU scored since they scored 55 against Rutgers last season. Uh, Another fun stat, prior to tonight, last time Kansas had two players rush for 100-plus yards was 2014 against Iowa State. I'll give you a second now to think of, you can think of who the two running backs for KU were at that point, but they were Tony Pearson and Corey Avery. Bonus points if you could name both. Um, but overall, just a real historic win for Kansas. I think offensively you saw some really good things, um, some developments, I think, adjustments. You know, One of the biggest things you could say about Les Miles and his time at LSU was towards the end, um, a lot of the fan base wanted some adaptation from coach miles and the way that he ran his offense they wanted to kind of move forward and i felt like today if you kind of look at in a in just in a vacuum the game against coastal carolina and the game against boston college the game against coastal carolina would be your traditional less miles lsu teams running the ball minimal possessions in total and then you look at tonight, and it's KU's doing some up-tempo stuff. Um, that you saw some more RPOs tonight. You saw a lot more spread tonight. Um, you saw just a lot more variance in the KU offense in comparison to what we saw uh, last week against Coastal Carolina. And I mean, you think about it like this too: KU had nine drives against Coastal Carolina. KU had fourteen today against Boston College. Of course, that comes because you score more, you're going to get more opportunities to get at the football. But that's something that you know going forward, you can be confident that KU now Boston College could turn out to not be a very good team but at this point you know you have to look at Boston College who they've beaten a pretty decent Virginia Tech team in Rutgers um or sorry no they play Rutgers next week I believe but Boston College beat a pretty good Virginia Tech team so it's hard to tell where Boston College is but offensively for KU you have to be really impressed and I think that for me the biggest takeaway I take I take from this game is the personnel in the formations KU used. In the final four possessions against Coastal Carolina, KU used a three-wide receiver set twice on two downs in the final four drives against Coastal Carolina. I will have to go back tonight and look at the formations and the personnel that KU used, but it felt like it was a lot more three-wide receiver sets, a lot more spread formations for KU's running backs to be able to get more space at the line of scrimmage, which in turn helped guys like Khalil Herbert rush for 180 plus yards. Um, his 82 yard run was the 
I believe, the second longest non-scoring run in KU football program history. That's a fun tidbit from the ACC Network broadcast that we heard. Um, but Khalil Herbert, just incredible. This is one of those vintage performances where he has a really good yards per carry. He had 187 yards on 11 attempts, 17 yards a carry. And for a good chunk of the game, his yards per carry were up above 20. But late in the second half, KU kept running the ball, but was not getting those big gains. So Khalil Herbert and Puka Williams, their yards per carry kind of staggered there late on in the game. But even with Puga Williams, I thought that he had, a, if you will, a quiet 121 yards. You know, his long was 16 yards. He came up with the touchdown run his first of the season. But I thought in general, he Puka was just a workhorse. I mean, took 22 carries, but he was able to just consistently get yardage. You know, he didn't have those big runs like Khalil Herbert was able to come up with, but he was the consistent you know, the consistent back that's getting those carries. And I think that going forward, you can be encouraged by the change of pace that KU showed today, you know, because Puka Williams is really shifty side to side. He can make guys miss. He can truck over people. But watching today, it felt like Boston College had a really hard time just tackling Khalil Herbert. It looked like a lot of arm tackles around the waist, around the thighs that he was able to kind of shrug off. So going forward, that could be encouraging seeing how uh, uh, Khalil Herbert being used as a change of pace back in the different ways that they used him today. That would be really encouraging. I would also be really encouraged with the play of Carter Stanley. I think if you look at the overall, the way that Stanley played in this game, I think he played a near-perfect game. You look at the first two drives where KU doesn't do much. I mean, he throws the interception and KU punts. But outside of that, I mean, you look at what he was able to do. Uh, he throws for 238 yards on 20-27. I think the numbers don't necessarily explain the type of game that Stanley played today. If you look at kind of the things that he did that you could criticize him for in the past two games. You would have said, you know, he put the ball in jeopardy a little bit and he maybe didn't use his legs as much as he could have. And I think that today, you know, he really stepped up in those two areas. You know, he's able to run the ball and you look at the way he ran the ball. He tries to hurdle a safety. He tries to truck guys on multiple occasions. I think I still remember this quote that Steven Sims said, about Carter Stanley, where basically he says that, you know, he will always remember those type of plays. He'll remember Carter by those plays, basically. And just the way that he's able to, or willing to put his body on the line for his team, that that just spoke a lot to Sims. Uh, and I think that, you know, tonight you could see that in Carter Stanley. And it felt like, too, he didn't really put the ball in jeopardy. Outside of the, the first interception, you know, the only interception, it didn't feel like he was forcing throws or trying to put balls where he shouldn't wasn't thrown in double coverage. I can't remember if he threw in a double coverage, even in the basically in the second quarter on, I don't, yeah, I can't think of any, but I just a really good performance from, from him reading the game. I mean, you look at kind of the throws that he was forced to make. He took advantage of when Boston College would crash in the box. You look at the 37-yard reception between Stanley and Andrew Parchment. That came when KU was in a split back, uh, as I mentioned earlier, where, you know, Puka Williams and Dom Williams, they take a lot of attention from the defense. So they were able to hit them over the top for a really big gain to get them within the five-yard line. And eventually, I think Hudson Hall scored a touchdown there. And then you look at the touchdown to Jack Lovas as well. That was one where he's kind of just over the middle, kind of open. 
you know, able to make those type of throws. Cade didn't force him into a, some tough throws. It wasn't one of those things where really he's having to squeeze into tight windows. It felt like for the most part, the throws Stanley was making were ones that were in rhythm and that he was able to complete, you know, with relative ease without really trying to, he didn't feel like he really was forcing many throws, which was really refreshing to see, especially after the first two weeks that he had, just the ups and downs of it both. And I mean, credit to him, just the mental toughness to come out in this sort of environment. You look at it, it's an away game. Uh, you know, you're coming off of a, just a tough performance. You know, you look at him after the game against Coastal Carolina. Stanley comes talking to the media, and it sounds like, you know, he's on the verge of tears just from he feels so disappointed in letting his team down to now this performance and to be able to flush that and come back and do this. I mean, kudos to him. And I think this was a gutsy performance. And Les Miles said that they'll be sticking with him for a while. And, you know, it looks like it right now that Stanley, you know, has some really good confidence that he can build off of going forward. And, I mean, you look at the report he has with his receivers, too. I mean, Andrew Parchment had a great game today. Um, he had a total of 100 yards with eight catches, two touchdowns, with the long of 37 that came on that play that we talked about a minute ago. But even then, you know, he got targeted 11 times. Um, even Dalen Charlotte got some action today as well. Um, he only got two targets, but came up one catch for 10 yards. I think Parchment has really emerged as kind of that, the, the main guy, the number one receiver for KU. He, first of all, his hands he's shown are awesome so far, but I think he also just has that ability to make people miss, whether it be, you know, with him with the ball or even when he's you're running routes, he's able to kind of get some separation between him and defensive backs. So really encouraging performance overall from KU's offense. Now looking at it, maybe from a defensive perspective, I think you could go away from this game being just thrilled with how KU played defensively. I think there's a couple big picture things to take away from this. Gavin Potter and Stephen Parker, two much heralded freshmen, got their first snaps on defense today. Um, Stephen Parker got his, I believe, in the second quarter. And Gavin Potter, I don't remember the first time that he went in, but he had a really good pressure late on in the game. So getting those two some game time here, especially before Big 12 play, feels important. KU did rotate a little bit more at the inside linebacker position. That's something that KU had not done uh, in previous games. You You remember against Indiana State, Kyron Johnson and Drew Prox played every snap. I don't remember if they played every snap against Coastal Carolina, but against Boston College, they definitely didn't. Uh, Jay Deneen came in and played really well on the inside, and he rotated in and out with Kyron Johnson. He got in the backfield a bunch. I, you know, I don't think the tackles necessarily would reflect how good he was defensively because I, I can just all the top of my head remember two times that he got into the backfield on a run play but just wasn't able to – come up with the actual tackle himself. So I thought Jay Deneen had a really good performance, you know, going forward. It's going to be really interesting to see kind of the role that he plays, especially if KU does go up against, you know, like when they go up against K-State, for example, who is going to look to run the ball a little bit more than maybe a, a Texas Tech or an Oklahoma might. Actually, you know, maybe not even Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts these days. But, you know, in the rushing attack, it's good to see Jay Deneen get his, you know, get more playing time. Um, he did come away with four total tackles. And Drew Prox, of course, wasn't with another great game. He came away with 10 total tackles, six of them solo. 
he is someone that I think is looking like he's going to be the, the workhorse game in and game out for KU. It also felt like Bryce Tornaden really took another step in the right direction after a solid game against Coastal Carolina. He came up with nine tackles total, but it felt like he was in on a lot of plays as well. And I didn't notice him playing as much at like the Hawk or closer to the line of scrimmage. It, it did feel like he was maybe a little bit more back in the safety position, but I'd have to go back and look at the film to kind of confirm that. But just off the top of my head, I, I really do remember him being more in the high safety role than at like a nickelback or the Hawk position that KU uses. Uh, I think overall you look at the defensive backs, you know, Kyle Mabry did have, uh, I think an interception or two go through his hands. KU did have some pickable balls that they could have caught, but I think that's just nitpicking at this point with just the way that they were able to slow down, you know, this Boston College offense with one of the most dynamic running backs, I mean, in college football period in A.J. Dillon. So you look at what KU did with A.J. Dillon, you hold him to 150, so you say hold, but you hold him to 151 yards on 27 rushes. That's an average of 5.6 a carry. I think if you go into the game, you say, hey, you're going to hold A.J. Dillon to 5.6 yards a carry, I think KU would be pretty pleased with that, especially considering the workload that he did take on, almost hitting 30 carries. Um, I thought it was interesting that the Boston College quarterback threw for almost 200 yards in the air. It didn't feel like that watching the game. It didn't feel like Boston College was able to get much going through the air in the game, but I think overall for KU, this is a really positive performance going into this next week's West Virginia game. And I think that, you know, this is something that me and a couple of my friends talked about during the game was that going into this next week, is KU going to be favored against West Virginia at home? And this is something that Scott had tweeted also this evening was, you know, is KU going to be favored at home to West Virginia? And I I struggle with that because I – I don't know how West Virginia is going to look tomorrow, tomorrow being Saturday. Um, but as of right now, before watching West Virginia play, NC State, I believe, is who they play um, this Saturday. Yeah, they do play NC State. Um, but I'll be really interested to see what that line comes out at. I think it'll probably be, if I had to guess, probably a pick, maybe Kansas minus one and a half, maybe minus two. I think you do the – you go to a neutral field. I think West Virginia would probably be favored. So you, you know, by one or two, so you do three points for home field advantage. You get around one and a half, two for KU to be favored. So that's going to be a really intriguing performance next week to see where KU goes offensively. Because, I mean, I mentioned it when we talked about the offense, but just in the first half, I kind of felt like, you know, what in the world was the offense that we were watching the past two weeks? Just because you look at the spread and the way that KU is able to move the ball against the best defense they've played against so far, and it makes you kind of think, wait a second, were they hiding things last week and they didn't take Coastal Carolina too seriously and they end up getting behind the eight ball? Or is this a, in a week, you know, KU football was able to, and the coaching staff and the offensive minds in there were able to come up with a really solid game plan, kind of figure out what the things that they did well against, you know, Indiana State and Coastal Carolina, and were able to translate those to this game. I don't know, but I'm really even more intrigued now for this West Virginia game this next week just to see where KU is offensively. I think defensively we've seen what we're going to get from KU where it's going to be um, a lot of swarming, a lot of getting hats to the ball. But I think offensively for KU next week is going to be the, the, the real litmus test of seeing where this offense is and going forward what you can maybe expect from Carter Stanley 
and the KU offense. So that's going to do it for the podcast this evening. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at mswain 97 and you can follow Scott Chasen on Twitter at Chasen Scott. We'll have a ton of really good content for you guys this next week leading into the West Virginia game. And hey, you know, late night in the fog isn't too far away either. So we'll have that all sorts of content covering those two things coming here pretty soon. Um, but thank you guys for tuning in as always, and we'll talk to you next week after the West Virginia game. Mm-hmm.